Rachel. And I'm Erin. And this is going to be unsettling. Deeply. without Steve. So if we sound a little peculiar, that's why. And Abby's not here either. She's upstairs soothing the dogs. Because there's a thunderstorm coming. So we're going to do this alone, I guess, you know, how it started. (laughs) And we got this weird setup where we're both on either side of a barrel because we're using my equipment and we're staring at each other. It's like really intense. Yes. It's like the first one when Tina tried to eat you. Yes, yeah, just like that. <laughs> we had to kick Mabel out because she was making too much sound. So. She was. It picked up her, her gnawing sound. Yeah, it was nothing that you need to hear. No, no, no one should have to hear that. Uh, do you have any news this week? or? Um, I saw a really big spider in my bathroom, like the biggest spider I've ever seen in my life yesterday. Oh. It was like, like big. And we have cave crickets where I live. Yeah. And those are like the devil but this thing was huge and like eric because i'm accident prone and like clumsy he doesn't like run to me if i make a sound but apparently the sound i made yesterday was concerning enough that he did run to me (laughs) and then he saved said giant spider charlotte yeah but i feel bad for it you know i try to set it free i wouldn't i would have tried to kill it if i wasn't such a scaredy cat and because it was so big killing it would be gross yeah you know Ugh, squishy. Um, I don't have any news. No news? You don't have a gypsy anymore? Yeah. And Lauren's not here either? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I'm just... I'm just okay. She's just doing. I'm just... I I always say, if I'm like... If people are like... I ask, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, you know, nothing new. I'm like... That's a good thing. <laughs> Not exciting's a good thing. Consistency is key, my Consistency. Friends. I know it sounds really boring. You had a small tray of mac and cheese you showed up with. Yeah, so I'm going to eat a tiny tray of mac, mac and, cheese and cheese and be happy about it. And we're going to talk about um, a lost at sea case today. Oh, good. You said I would feel better about this. I already, I don't like the ocean. <laughs> I just like the... I really like the lost at sea cases for some reason. I like when people go missing. I've been waiting to do it. So I'm going to tell you the story of Salvador Alvarenga and also Ezekiel Cordoba today. Oh, okay. All right. So have you ever heard of the book um, 438 Days? No. Okay. This, um, he wrote this book, the one of them. So. Okay. So here we go. On November 17, 2012, 35-year-old shark fisherman Salvador Alvarenga was preparing to head out to sea with Ezekiel Cordoba, and he was a less experienced 22-year-old fisherman. But he wasn't a professional fisherman like um, like Salvador Alvarenga was. Like, he was a pro. That's what he did for work. 
the other kid he's bringing, he just, he's not exactly, like, he fishes sometimes, but he's not. He's like an apprentice fisherman? Kind of, he's, I don't even know if he's that interested. He's just a 22-year-old kid. Just hustling. Um, just hustling, like, just going out there, so. I could see you doing that, just deciding one day you'd be a deep-sea fisherman for, like, a week. Maybe a week. So, he was just supposed to be out there for two days. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they were supposed to be doing. So, they would be setting sail out of Costa Azul, Mexico. Okay. As Alvarez had done many times before in his small fiberglass boat. And the boat was tiny, but he'd be sailing out like 50 to 100 miles out there, so really far. And That's he wanted, far for a little boat. Yeah, and he wanted to catch some bigger sharks, and they had to go out there to get them, right? Mm-hmm. And he's hustling. He's a fisherman. That's what he does. He ain't scared. No. So it's going to last two days. And they hoped that they could make a decent amount of money from the catches, right? Yeah. Out of the two days. And Alvarez was not very, um, I'm sorry, I keep saying Alvarez because that's what I jumped to, but his last name is Alvarenga. So Alvarenga was not really educated, but it didn't stop him from making a living deep sea fishing. He was to pay Cordoba $50 to come with him and help him reel in his catches, be his first mate. Okay. So he noticed a storm was rolling in. Oh, no. Yeah, so... Much like tonight. Yeah. Like tonight. It's a good thing we're not on a boat. But he was, like, no big... Um, he's experienced. He dealt with many storms in the past on the same boat. So they went out to sea, and they had no idea what they were about to go through out there. And things would quickly take a turn. So they caught plenty of fish on their first day out. Things were going fine. Alvarenga noticed the storm was growing and growing, and they had to make a choice, which was obviously to stay out there and try to get more fish, increase their catch, um, more money, more fish, more money. That's the whole reason they're out there, right? Mm -hmm. Or they were going to start heading back, um, heading back in to get away from the storm. Okay. So he was comfortable with the fact he had navigated such storms before in the past pretty easily. Okay. So it wasn't hard for him to make the decision to stay out that day. And it wasn't the the storm wasn't the first issue the pair had. It was actually the boat's engine. Oh. So they're no. in this storm. It sucks, right? Engine dies, gets flooded and dies. So the two had to fend for themselves now. They didn't have any Navigation tools, really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. They didn't even have, like, a sail. You know, mm -mm. if you weren't prepared to do that, you mm -hmm. might have an oar. No, they didn't have an oar either. Oh, God. No. So, the fishing boat was 25 feet long. There were no raised structures or lights. It was pretty much invisible when it was out at the <gasps> sea. That's not good. Yeah. And by the time the engine had failed, they were already, like, over 50 miles out. Oh, now water's starting to get inside the boat. It's sloshing around, but Alvarenga's not panicking. He began to navigate, of course, home with no equipment. Well, because he just knew, you know, where he was still at this General point. Direction, yeah. yeah. And Cordova was going bucket by bucket, getting the water out. Wow. Yes, yeah, so he's like trying to us out, kids. Yeah. So, according to the Guardian, this is a direct quote. They said the boat was loaded with equipment, including 70 gallons of gasoline, 16 gallons of water, 50 pounds of sardines for bait, 700 hooks, miles of line, a harpoon, three knives, three buckets for bailing, a mobile phone, and a plastic bag to keep it dry, okay. a GPS tracking device, 
that wasn't waterproof and also wasn't working. Oh. A two-way bat- a two-way radio with its battery half charged. And oh. yeah, several wrenches for the motor and 200 pounds of ice. That's a lot of weight mm-hmm. for a little boat. Yes. No engine. Thank you. You have some boating experience, so. I've had a lot of boats, and most of them didn't work. <laughs> because that's just how my dad is. My dad's a mechanic, so he buys boats that no one else can fix, and then we buy them, and he sort of fixes them until we're out in the middle of the ocean. And we did have to paddle back once. Yeah. I think Lindsay was on the boat that day. She never went on. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weight. All to say. So from personal experience, we can tell you. It's not a good setup. This is not a good setup. Not ideal. We are sailors now. <laughs> In case you didn't know. And notice how nothing I mentioned above was safety equipment. No, there like, was not a life vest. Not there wasn't a thing. first aid kit. Not one thing. There wasn't like, there's some sardines. Yeah. Those are a lot. Yeah. No rations, really. No. So usually Alvarenga would have taken... A trip like this with his, um, he had someone he went with who was Ray Perez, but he couldn't come the last minute. Okay. Which left Alvarenga with the, with the kid, with Cordoba, the okay. inexperienced first mate. And he was beginning to panic and vomit instead of bailing out the boat's water. Oh, no. So now he's freaking out. I was, here, there I am. <laughs> so. <laughs> Accurate. I hope I would step up, but I don't, I'd probably be vomiting a little bit but still trying to bail it out. I think that's what he was doing. So Alvarenga managed to reach his boss by the radio, and he told him that his GPS was not functioning, so he couldn't give him any coordinates for rescue. And his boss told him to anchor, but he didn't have his anchor either. Oh. He didn't even think to pack it, really, because he he, he didn't think he would need it. Okay. So, I don't know. That's a bold move, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So his boss told him that he was coming to get him, and Alvarenga replied, Good, I'm getting really fucked out here. <laughs> yeah, those were his last words to shore, according to the Guardian. And fucked he was, because massive waves were crashing into the tiny boat, while the two of them were trying to counterweight it as a team. <gasps> That's <laughs> the worst. So the items were making it top-heavy as we... As we determined pointed out earlier so it was more difficult to stabilize the boat when it was top heavy so they started tossing their catch so the reason they fucking stayed out they're like by fish we're just now they're just trying to survive yeah toss the catch um then they're like okay now the bloody carcass is gonna attract sharks we really can't fall over so like try not to fall over now um they were throwing over more supplies, the ice they got rid of, which would have been, you know, they had to get rid of a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. all their hooks, all that equipment, like, everything. Um, so, <laughs> they also made a kind of sea anchor, like, a floating thing behind them that would help stabilize the boat with, like, the few supplies they had. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, sort of. Like, um... Like, it kind of drags behind them yeah. to slow them down. Yeah. Yeah. So they made that. It was successful. But now they realized their radio was dead. The GPS was already not working. Oh, God. And now they were totally alone. With and no supplies. With, like, nothing. And the storm's still going on. So Cordoba was scared, sad, nervous, and Alvarenga was fucking pissed. 
He smashed the broken engine and he sent his defective devices overboard. He's throwing the GPS. He's like, fuck you. Angry rage. And yeah, they were still fighting the water pooling inside. That was exhausting. And the night came on, the cold set in. And now they're cold too. And they were taking turns to keep paling it out while they're trying to like sleep. And it was completely pitch black at night. They had no idea where they were or what course the boat was taking. And only stars could be used as navigation tools, which were not what Alvarenga was used to. But he had some knowledge about that. And Alvarenga had been fishing for the majority of his life. And as a child, he learned to catch fish with his bare hands in El Salvador. Wow. Yeah. So the next day, they started to try and catch the fish as they had lost their rods and reels. Um, so he would wait for the fish to swim between his hands and then smash them together, go like dig into the scale, throw it on the boat, and then Cordova would start like slicing it up. Okay. Yeah. So that is how they got by for a long time. So this, so I said the next day, but the storm actually lasted like a week. Wow. They're doing all this. So I don't think they started really trying to catch fish until it kind of cleared it up for them to do so. Yeah, because you can't do that if it's the fish don't come to the surface if it's... Yeah, yeah. So so it was a while before they started getting, like, real food, too. Oh. Yeah. So they would have to hide in the icebox to avoid the sun, but they still got really burned and dehydrated. Oh, no. Because they didn't have a lot of shelter on the boat either, Yeah. really, at all. So, the food was kind of under control, right? They have the fish. So, now they're getting thirsty because the storm had stopped. They didn't have any more fresh water. Like, they threw everything off. So, they tossed their ice, which even would have left them some, right? Yeah, Yeah, so they were drinking their own pee at this point. But they wouldn't let their urge to drink seawater win because they knew that would make them ill and dehydrated. Yeah, it's like a death sentence. So days of this was passing, of them eating fish, drinking their own pee, and the fish are starting to dwindle. They're getting hungrier and thirstier. So Alvarenga noticed the seabirds were flocking around the boat, and he realized they could be used for something, and they had a liquid that could be used to quench their thirst, which was their blood. So he's catching them, ripping them apart, drinking their blood. Cordoba's like, ew. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he's doing it, too. You know, they're doing it to sea turtles to live. And they even began to eat the bird's flesh raw. Raw. Yeah. And I'm sure it was had a bunch of parasites and everything, and they knew that, and they still had to do that. I mean, it was worth the risk at that point, because what's your alternative? You just sit there and die. Yeah. So, meanwhile, the short call Alvarenga managed to place earlier set off a search and rescue mission for the men. Okay. And the storm was still going at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Visibility was poor. The fishing boat was almost invisible because it's blue and white. Mm. And it doesn't have any lights. So after two days, they were forced to call off the search. Oh. So Alvarez and Cordoba finally saw a cargo ship, which was their first sign of possible rescue. And it was really far away, but they still tried to send out a signal. So they took off one of their shirts and put it on the end of a pole and lit it on fire with a match they had Oh, to try and signal it. But it was ba- they were basically camouflaged, like I said. The, cam- the, the ship was far away, so it just sailed away. It didn't see their call. And now they don't have a shirt. Yeah. Yeah, now they don't have a shirt. So... 
They didn't have any water since the rain of the storm. They've been smart through their trip, though. They collected water bottles and a large oil drum. Mm -hmm. So when the rain finally did come, they did have some water. Okay. Which it did, eventually, after some a while of them going through the heat now. So they had a week-long storm, then they had, like, no rain at all. Now they have some rain. Okay. And their mental health is really starting to go down. Yeah. Especially in Cordoba. He was in really deep to climb. And Alvarenga started to be, see himself as Cordoba's caretaker. And he was telling him stories, trying to distract him, like making up fake scenarios to keep their minds active and keep them hopeful, really. Mm-hmm. And they also um, argued a lot, too, at the same time. They barely knew each other before taking off. Um, yeah, so there were bound to be a little scuffles. They didn't have, like, the same philosophy on life, really, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and they're so, just, I mean, who else, if there's no one else to talk to, eventually you get yeah. tired of hearing that person. Yeah, so they would fight, but usually they were brief. Like, they were getting along more than they were fighting, but they were still fighting um, time to time, you know. But survival was their common goal, so they kept it moving, right? Okay. Now they were there almost ten weeks, lost at sea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Cordoba and Alvarenga are enjoying their seabird lunch. When Cordoba gets really sick, his mouth starts to foam up. <gasps> mm-hmm. So, Alvarenga's looking for the bird, and he found a little yellow poisonous snake in its stomach. So, we had, like, eaten some of it and got the, the poison in it, which explained his physical reaction to that. So, he was out for a couple of days, but he did survive. Wow. But now he was really weary about eating birds or any raw meat at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, he wouldn't eat, like, anything. Like, Alvarengo would try to give him, like, little bits here and there, but he was refusing, and he knew he was going to die. Um, but he was kind of, like, at peace at the same time. And they said their goodbyes to each other. Cordoba gave his final request which was for Alvarenga to visit his mom and requested him to not eat his body. Hmm, okay. Yeah. He died days later after surviving weeks on the boat together. Oh, my God. So he lived over ten weeks, and then he died. hmm So Alvarenga kept his body, though, on the boat for a little while. He talked with him, acted like he's still alive. Oh, no. He hallucinated the body, like, telling him how nice death was. Um, and how, like, he should come with him. So this is starting to fuck with him. Yeah, absolutely. So he throws the body overboard and gives him a burial at sea, finally, when he just couldn't... Handle it anymore. Yeah. But it was, like, his companion, so... Oh. Yeah. So then thoughts of suicide started to consume him for the first time, and he's in, like, a super dark spot for... About four days he's doing this. He's thinking of ways he can off himself. Because there's not even anything to do it with. Yeah. And he's just... Or he could just put fish on him and jump in the water and get eaten by a shark. Like, he's thinking of all the things, right? But his fear of God's rejection if he committed suicide helped him to want to live. Okay. He used the same methods to console um, Cordoba on himself. He would talk out loud about the food that he would eat, the women he would go bang, um, <laughs> singing songs, all that in great detail. And he was trusting his faith in God would bring him out alive. He made plans to right his wrongs if he did make it out. 
to be a better son to his family he hadn't seen in, like, years. He left his daughter with his parents, like, years ago, kind of, like, just abandoned her. And made a point to be a more present father if he lived. Okay. And that he wouldn't continue his, like, party boy single lifestyle. And thoughts of his redemption propelled him forward. He kept fishing, eating seabirds and turtles, collecting all the water he could, and he just kept kept drifting. Just living on a boat. Drifting. Kept drifting. And he knew how long he was out there because his father had taught him how to, like, read the stars at one point, I guess, for the cycle. So he, okay. he knew how long he was there, too. Well, and the sun goes down. And the sun. He's not, like, taking notches, though. I guess yeah. he was counting, like, lunar cycles. I don't know what he was doing. Um he, yeah, I knew. guess you could tell by the moon, too. He, he knew. He knew. So, suddenly a slew of birds flew by, and they startled him. And when he looked ahead, he could see a small island forming before his eyes. And he thought he was hallucinating, but he realized he was seeing it too long to be hallucinating. So he's like, shit, this is real. He made the decision to cut off his anchor buoys that had stabilized him for so long in favor of reaching the island faster. He got closer and closer. He jumps off the boat. And he just makes a swim for it when he's, like, ten feet out. A wave crashes him down, and he lands on this little island in the Marshall Islands, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the most remote parts of the planet. He drifted thousands of miles to miraculously reach this tiny bit of land on the Ebon Atoll. So, to his surprise, there was a house not far from where he was standing, and two people were outside. So originally when he saw his land, he was like, there's no fucking way somebody's going to be on that. It's the size of, like, a football field. Yeah, so it's even useless to go there. And Well, no, he was still, like, excited, but then somebody was actually there. And then he's like, fuck, probably. Oh, my. Like, he's probably like, holy shit. Like, just talk to me, please. Just talk to <sighs> just me. Just talk. Just want to chat. And they were a native couple. They took him in. They nursed him to help the best they could. And he could barely stand. He was skin and bone. Like, he was a wreck. And the owner of the house sailed across the lagoon to the main town, where he brought back police officers and a nurse with him. Wow. And he was brought to a hospital to recover as well. And at first he was getting worse, like his legs would swell because he had water in so long. And they were trying to get rid of the parasites in him and everything. Yeah, from eating all that dead, well, the live birds. And- yeah, and he had a lot of anxiety, thinking like a parasite would go to his brain. Mm-hmm. So he spent a lot of time just like dwelling on that and being freaked out about it. But he did eventually recover. Um, he kept his promise, visited Cordoba's mom. Oh. Yeah. He was afraid of deep waters and slept with the lights on, but he was okay for now. He lived. Yeah. And many people came forward to challenge his story. They were like, there's no fucking way this guy was out there for 438 days. Wow. Was the total days he was out there. So like, how did he do this, especially alone, right? So reporters snuck into the hospital. They tried to get the first look at him or the first word. And the University of Hawaii and some independent oceanographers did run kind of tests, I guess, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and said it was possible that he that he could have survived the journey, and that's the path he kind of would have taken. Like, that's a possible path. Like the way the ocean would have drifted him. The currents and everything at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his full trip was estimated to be about 6,000 miles long. Wow. He did move back to El Salvador to be with his family and to help mend the relationship with his daughter. Okay. And that's exactly what he promised he would. He did it. And, yeah, this is the story of 
A year. Salvador. A year at sea. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Let me tell you what I'm not cut out for. A year at sea. Jesus Christ. Give me a day at sea and I'm puking, <laughs> sunburned, and angry. Mm-hmm. Wow. You did tell me that. That would that would make me feel better. It does actually make me feel better. When right? When I started, I didn't think it, we were. I think you were just fucking. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I thought... There's a, there's a few other stories. I'll probably do another, like, Lost, Lost at sea. sea. Lost at Series, maybe. Ooh, Lost at Series. Yeah, because I like these stories a lot. But this was probably the most impressive one that there is. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to know is if we have any, like, artisty people that listen to us. Because we're in the process of, like, redoing our logo. Because our logo is something I made on Canva, like, in roughly six minutes two years ago when we had this idea in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, and if you look at, like, Apple podcast lists, it's, like, a very commonly used thing on True Crime. Like, you can see <laughs> everyone else has this idea. So we've been fiddling with, like, ideas. But if there's anybody that's, like, artistically inclined. And bored. And bored, yes. Let us know, because we're trying to figure something out. I, I got, like, halfway there, but, again, I'm ill-equipped and not artistic, so it doesn't work out well. But we'll see. We're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. And sorry about the quality of this episode. If it's bad. If it's not bad, then we're not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that was that was a good one. That was, that was unsettling. I don't like the idea of being lost at sea. Yeah. No me gusta. It's... It's... The resolve this man had, it just, I can't even imagine. The determination just to live. Like, mm-mm, just feed me to the sharks at that point. He's like, I'm fucking living. Like, boo-hoo. You know, he's like, I'm just, I'm just going to live. Wow. Cannot believe it. It's unbelievable. People want to live, you know. All right, well, I think that's it. think so. So we'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Bye.